It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The old system involved the sacrificing of animals, and among those animals we see, of course, the sacrificial lamb. And we know that that was all pointing to the day when the Lamb of God would come and be that one sacrifice for all sin for all time, meaning that the animal sacrifices would no longer need to be offered because they were no longer required for the covering over of sin that has been taken away by the blood of Jesus. And John the Baptist was given the assignment as a prophet of the Lord. He was given the assignment of recognizing, identifying, preparing the way for, and then announcing the Messiah or the Lamb of God. And of course, this was none other than Jesus himself. Most people have limited understanding when it comes to what Jesus did for us in regards to our sin in that we hear people say, Jesus forgives sin. And while that is accurate, it's not complete because Jesus does more than forgive sin. Jesus came to take away sin. And taking away sin is much better and much different than simply forgiving it. And we see this same thought in different places in the Scripture. Romans chapter 11, verse 27 For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And this is the Holy Spirit inspiring the Apostle Paul to quote from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 27 and verse 9. So the plans and purposes of God to to take away our sins was not a last minute thing. It was something that was already planned for and prepared for before Adam was created to need redeeming before the descendants of Adam needed a redeemer. Jesus had already agreed to be our eternal redemption. So this is why the prophets spoke to these things uh, as, as, as future events that would one day happen. And of course, we now live in the day of their fulfillment. First John chapter 3, verse 5, And you know that He, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. So He was the spotless Lamb. He was the spotless Lamb. And we see again this pattern in the old system where the animals were brought. Uh, they, they were not allowed to offer uh, an animal that had some type of injury or some type of uh, you know, deformity or, or, or what have you. It, again, because those things were symbolic of uh, Jesus coming, who would be the pure and spotless lamb. And then, of course, we see this same wording, uh, phraseology in Hebrews 10 and 4, speaking of the blood of bulls and goats, and it, that it's not possible that the blood of an animal could take away sins. What could they do? They could cover it up, and they could provide temporary atonement, temporary at one month, but we see mentioned throughout the book of Hebrews that those sacrifices had to be repeated over and over and over again. So in comparing Jesus, and that's what the writer of Hebrews 
uh, is, is doing, um, he is trying to clear up confusion that existed among um, Jewish people who had not yet accepted Jesus as the Messiah. They had experienced his earthly ministry. They had, had, had heard him teach and preach, had witnessed him perform miracles. Even some had received miracles from Jesus, but had still not yet stepped away from the old system and received Jesus as their Messiah. And so we go back now one chapter into Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll look at verses 25 and 26. Not that he should offer himself often, because remember the the animals had to be offered uh, often. Uh, Some people might say early and often, uh, continuously. As the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, he then, Jesus then, would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, come on now, but now, talking about the difference between then and now, but now, we live in the but now, amen? But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, I don't know if I've said this uh, recently, but let me remind you, Jesus is coming back. And we are closer to his return now than we ever have been in the history of this world and in the history of the church. And, of course, we've heard that. If you, like me, were raised in church, you've heard that your whole life. But here we see that Jesus coming, uh, he didn't come at the beginning of the earth age. He didn't come in the middle. He came towards the end. And that was 2,000 years ago. So... If Jesus came at what is referred to um, the end of the ages, he came at the end of the ages. That was 2,000 years ago. My brother and my sister, we're getting close. We're getting very close. And notice that he has appeared. He came to this earth as a human being. He has appeared to us. Remember what uh, John said about the fellowship that we have with Jesus, that we've witnessed him, we've heard him, we've handled him, he's been with us, we know him. Amen. Um, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The next verses, we won't, we won't read them, but basically say that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming back for sin. In other words, the first time he came, he came to put away sin. Now that's been handled. He's not coming back because of sin. He's coming back for you and me. Amen. Now... Here we see a little bit different expression. Multiple verses say take away sin, but now we see put it away, put it away. While they're speaking to the same end result, this word put away, if anything, is a stronger expression even than take away. So he came to take it away, and and just to be clear, I I think this is basically how the Holy Spirit was operating, is just to be clear, don't don't establish take away as the standard and water it down, but take away as the the baseline, and if it's possible for it to even be more than take away sin, it's, it's more than take away sin, not just, in other words, it's not less than. Are you following me? Now, that may sound a little bit silly the way I'm saying that, but see, what's happened in, in, in the world today, the Christian world today, is we hear take away sin and we think forgive. 
In other words, forgiving sin is less than taking it away. And so the Bible clearly says, take away, take away, take away. The prophet said when he comes, he'll take it away. And, and, and that's just the verses that use that exact wording. There are plenty of other verses that, that um, don't say it exactly that way, but the same meaning is conveyed. But now he takes it even to another level, and he says that Jesus came to put away sin, to put it away. Now, this word put away in the original language, it means to abrogate, abrogate. And I think I'm saying that correctly. When's the last time you've used, you have used the word abrogate in a sentence? When's the last time you've heard the word abrogate? Okay, not me. Um, and I like words, but this one was a new one for me. Um, but again, in the interest of drilling down into this and digging down into this to see exactly what it means when the scriptures say in the English version of the Bible, uh, New King James Version of the Bible, that Jesus appeared to put away sin, what does this word in the original language mean? And in the original language, it means to abrogate, to abrogate, all right? And so that didn't help me a lot. So we're going to drill down in. We're going to take it to the next level, right? We're going, to, we're going to look at what abrogate means. And when you see what it means to abrogate sin, I think you're going to get excited, okay? Abrogate means to abolish, to annul, to treat as non-existent. Wow. Abolish, annul, treat as non-existent. Now, I've, I've often tell you know, people who are learning to study the Bible, one of the best resources that you can have other than the Bible is a good Bible dictionary. Because sometimes we think we know what words mean, but when you look you know, at the meaning of the word, all of a sudden it just comes alive to you. And so perhaps you know what it means to abolish, or perhaps you know what it means to annul, okay, but these three A words, abrogate, abolish, annul, they're all basically related. And if you look in dictionaries, you can find that um, some combination of these words are used to define the others. So they're, they're all uh, you know, interlocked, if you will, in their meaning. So abrogate means to abolish, annul, to treat as non-existent. Abolish means to completely do away with something. To completely do away with something and to annul means to make ineffective or non-existent by official or legal action. By official or legal action. Now, when we talk about this official or legal action, let's, let's set official and legal aside for a moment. Let's just talk about the action. We're talking about what had to be done to annul it. What had to be done to abolish it? What had to be done to make it non-existent? So we're talking about, and again, I could put lots of different definitions up here. We even see, like, when, we, when slavery was abolished in this country, it, it was also done by legal official action. So um, obviously God has the power to just, you know, say something and abolish it. Jesus told the fig tree, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, and it withered up from the roots. But when it comes to our sin, remember now, it's how can God get rid of your sin, but at the same time be a just God? In, in other words, to not violate His own righteousness, 
to not violate his own um, integrity, if, if you will. Um, and of course, we've used different examples throughout our time on this subject. But if we talk about an earthly judge um, who, you know, rules in favor of someone who pays him under the table or rules in favor of someone he's related to, that's not just, that's not fair. So Father God cannot be just, let me say it another way using these words, he can't be official and legal. It can't be official and legal for him to just pretend like our sin didn't happen. In other words, there's got to be legal, official action that enables him to be a just God and at the same time treat you and me like our sin no longer exists. Okay? And by the way, when I say treat you like it no longer exists, that's, that's really not the right way of saying it because it literally no longer exists. It no longer exists. It's, it's been made ineffective. You realize that sin, before we were born again, sin had tremendous effect upon us. It, it was extremely effective and, and so effective that it, it, was, it had already produced um, spiritual death in us. Remember, death is separation. So we, we, were, we were no longer one with God because of sin. And, and it was slowly uh, ending our physical life and existence. So it was bringing death, both spiritual and natural or, or physical death. So to put away means to abrogate, abolish, annul, treat as non-existent, to completely do away with something. To, do you see the difference? And I know you do, but I just I want the Holy Spirit to so bring this alive in, in us in, in greater depths and, 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 and in, in greater awe, but also in greater uh, appreciation for what he's done. Amen. Uh, Jesus came to completely do away with our sin, to make it ineffective, non-existent, and to do so officially and legally. And that's exactly what he's done. Now, let me just comment briefly here. An understanding of spirit, soul, and body is required, I believe, to correctly understand these verses. Because clearly, clearly, Someone who's born again and has been made right with God, the Bible says that that individual can live by and for their flesh and commit sin, and that sin can, can certainly affect them. It can certainly uh, even end their life early, prematurely. Uh, and so I want to I make sure that we understand this. Uh, when we talk about this, and we could use this word, I think, here, this immunity, all right, we're talking about a spiritual immunity, but we still have a choice. Are you following me? We still have a choice. But again, the point that we've been making over and over again, it's the positional oneness and then the functional oneness. And while a born-again believer can still participate in sin and then affect their functional oneness with God and even shorten their earthly life, um, it cannot uh, end their positional oneness with God. Okay, so sin can still affect your body, it can still affect your mind, it can still affect your emotions, um, praise God, but we are what, a new creation, we're a new creation, and that's referring uh, to our born again spirit. Now, we've been asking this question or some version of it now for a few weeks, how did Jesus take away our sin, and if I could just be brief here, we've, we've devoted at least a sermon and a half to this already, but... But Jesus, he, he, 
how did he take it away? He, take it, he took it away by paying the full penalty for our sin before we committed it, including uh, death and separation from God. Including death and separation from God. So, Jesus came to separate you from the sin that separated you from God, that separated us from God. And we see some things here in, uh, in Hebrews 10 and 14 that refer to this. Let me just try to go through these, some of these quickly. I want to get to a couple of other verses before we're done tonight. Once again, every high priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never, what can they never do? They can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, capital M, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, we see the scriptures talk about eternal salvation and different... uh, um, verses that we see referring to Jesus both as the captain. We've looked at a lot of those verses here lately. I'm not going to try to go back through all of these. Jesus as the captain of our salvation and then Jesus as the author of our salvation. Literally the author of eternal salvation. Let's, I'll tell you what, let's look at that one. Hebrews 5, 7, 8, and 9. Who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Now, this was one of our main focuses last Wednesday night, is he wasn't asking Father to save him from dying, but the original language reveals that Jesus' prayer was to save him out from under death. He had already agreed to die. He agreed to die before the foundations of the world. The prayer that Jesus was crying out to his father was that once he died, because again, he was going to become our sin and our sin was going to separate him from God and he was going to taste death for every man. He was asking God the Father to save him out from under death. And of course, we know that that prayer was answered just as the Bible said it would be. And he was. Um, so, uh, able to save him out from save him from death out from under death and was heard because of his godly fear though he was a son yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered and having been perfected having been perfected remember perfective means he came forth from the father he came to the earth he became our sin and was separated from the father he was raised back from spiritual and physical death and reunited with his father that's perfected the full circle and now that he has been perfected, this is what it means for you and me to be perfected. We came forth from the Father. Our sin separated us from the Father. We died spiritually and would have died physically. But Jesus, amen, we received Jesus. And because we're now in Christ, we also have been perfected. We also have been restored back into oneness uh, with the Father. That's what it means to be perfected, full circle, all the way back around from the place that we came from. Uh, but also from Father's original intention for you and me. His original intention for you and me was what? Was fellowship. Amen? All right, I know I kind of went through that rather quickly. But this, this next phrase, and having been perfected, he became the author of not just salvation, but eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, these words, captain and author, it, it means that Jesus established it, that he brought it into being, and the Holy Spirit helped me 
to say it to you this way. Maybe this will help it register in your heart. Eternal salvation did not exist until Jesus did for us what he did for us. So when it says he was the author of it, I'm, I'm be silly here for my, nobody had written that book yet because no one was able to write it. Only he could bring that forth. Only he could produce that. Again, we have the Old Testament types and shadows. Remember, if we'll use the cross as an example, because ultimately that's what it was. If, if I'm here and there's a cross in front of me, and then on the other side of that cross there's a light shining towards me, that cr- cross is going to cast a shadow in my direction. So people who lived and knew God on... Um, on the other side of the cross, and it was before Jesus did what he did, all of that were, were, were shadows cast in their direction. We, we don't live in the shadow of these things. We live in the full light uh, of, of what Jesus has done and what he has accomplished for us. And so there were types and shadows. Again, the prophets spoke of this eternal salvation, this everlasting righteousness that, that can't be undone. They prophesied of the day that this would be a reality. We now live in that day. So eternal salvation, the concept of it prophetically existed, but the reality of it did not until Jesus did for us what he did. And if you hadn't figured it out by now, Satan doesn't, doesn't, first of all, he don't like salvation. He don't like it being preached. He don't like people receiving it, hearing anything about it. And then there's a whole lot of people who are saved. But now the devil fights tooth and toenail for people to fully understand what it means to be saved. Doesn't want them to know, doesn't want people to understand what God's done for them, what He's given to them, who He's made them, right? But then if we take it to the next level, it's when we put the word eternal in front of it. These, these words, eternal salvation, are among, sadly, they are among some of the most divisive words in, in the entire body of Christ. They're some of the most divisive words in the church. What does it mean? Does it mean what it says it means? Well, what about this? What about that? Well, we believe this. We believe that. And, and, and we complicate things without fully understanding what they mean. But remember now, the ultimate context. Context is everything you've got to know to make sense of something, right? Context is everything you've got to know to know what something means. The ultimate context is Father's desire to have unbroken fellowship with us. And if we understand that that's His desire and He was willing to pay the highest of prices to make that possible, now we start seeing, okay, so this is why Jesus is not just the author of salvation. He's certainly not the author of temporary salvation. It can only be temporary or eternal. It can't be both. But what does the Scripture say? The Scriptures say eternal salvation. Now watch this. As important as this is, if it was temporary, it's, it's kind of like when, when uh, Jesus said, um, you know, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. And if it were not so, I would, have, I would have been man enough to tell you that this is goodbye and you'll never see me again. I wouldn't leave you hanging like that. I'm, I'm telling you. But listen, don't let your heart be troubled because what I'm telling you right now is something that you can take all the way to the eternal bank, right? That I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back for you. So don't let your heart be troubled, right? So in, in that same vein... This is too important for Jesus to be vague about it. This is too important for the Holy Spirit to, you know, keep people guessing and, 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 and you're not going to know to you know. Surprise, surprise. No, he's, he's made it very clear. The case is clear. It's, it's the, it's the enemy that tries to confuse these things. 
Eternal salvation did not exist in reality until Jesus did what he did for us. So he is the one who brought into being. That's another way this author of it. He brought it into being eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. Now, I'm not going to go back through all these verses, but remember the pattern we looked at a few weeks back that the Levitical priesthood could not make the people perfect. The law could not make the people perfect. The uh, earthly, the animal sacrifices could not make people perfect. Um, <laughs> just the, the gifts that were offered uh, cannot make him who performed perform the service perfect. That's Hebrews 9 and 9. Um, Hebrews 10 and 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So are you, are you seeing the theme? It's not like when he gets to verse 14, he's just come out of left field with this word perfect. It, it, it is the theme. And what he's trying to show the unbelieving uh, uh, Jewish man and woman and then ultimately the church and me and you is that this whole thing is about you and I being perfected and not just temporarily perfected, perfected forever. And so he's saying all of these things that have become the traditions, all of these things that have become what you've invested your life into, that you've lived, you're, you know, however many generations of your family uh, have, have practiced and worshiped God this way. He said none of those things could do what the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice for you could do, which is, again, the, the end game, it is, it, is, it is the point of it all. What began in the garden ends at a wedding feast with you and me as the bride. And he's saying the Levitical priesthood can't make you ready for that. But the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus can. All right, now. Sometimes it's the simple things that I believe have the, uh, the greatest impact. Because when it's all said and done, Jesus came to make complicated things simple. And I, I know that you know this. So I'm not trying to treat you like a small child. But there is a difference between something that's temporary and something that's eternal. Now, again, that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost like, you know, the Lord's showing me this and it's strong. It's strong in me. The Holy Spirit's strong in me on this. I mean, it's like flowing out of me. And I'm like, Lord, you know, just, it's kind of a sad day that, that this has to be said. You know, and I'm not necessarily talking about this Wednesday night bunch here at Heritage. I mean, you guys are, are all in, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, the God who said to you and me, you'll give an account for every idle word, he's not a hypocrite. In other words, if, if we're going to answer for our idle words, do you think God uses idle words? Does he, does he lie? Does he say one thing and mean another? In other words, when God uses the words eternal, when God uses the words forever, does he mean eternal and does he mean forever? Or is he just, you know, trying to hype it? But it really doesn't mean that. In other words, if, if it means eternal, then let's believe that it means eternal. Amen. And if it's not eternal, he shouldn't have said it's eternal. But again, I don't mean that disrespectful to him, but, but God doesn't play those games with us. He, he, he doesn't... You know, I think I said this two or three weeks ago. You know, we may tell somebody never, but we, you know, we, are you understand? We need to watch our words. Oh, never, I'll never. No, amen. 
Unless the Lord tells you to say never, don't say never. I'll never preach the gospel. You better watch yourself. Amen. All right. So, to, to make the point, um, in, in Scripture, we see temporary and eternal set in opposition to one another. And you know, here's one example, 2 Corinthians 4 and 18, maybe the best example. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen, visible, physical, they're temporary. But the things which are not seen, spiritual, they're eternal. So temporary then should be understood as being to eternal what darkness is to light. Again, let's, let's, let's draw the, the line where the line needs to be drawn. Because I think sometimes we think, well, it says eternal, but sometimes eternal can be temporary. And it says temporary, but sometimes temporary. No. Light can never be dark and darkness, and darkness can never be light. God is light, and in Him is light, and there is no darkness at all. So when we talk about something being temporary and something being eternal... These are words not just that men have come up with, but these are terms that God uses to distinguish the difference between something that can be changed and something that can't be. So is temporary the same as eternal? (laughs) The answer is no. Do they mean the same thing? Can we use these words in place of one another without losing any meaning? And the answer is, of course not. So what then does temporary mean? Temporary means lasting only for a period of time, not permanent. Lasting, existing, or effective for a limited time only. Okay? So... You know, you can take um, medication. Maybe an odd way to say this, but you know, you you can you can take medication, but you know, the 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 pharmacist, the doctor will tell you, you know, take this every six hours. Why? Because the effect that it produces is only temporary. Are you, right? It's effective, but it's not, it's not effective for, uh, you know, six years or whatever. It, it, it has effect, but the effect doesn't last. So you have to take it again. Compare that to the Old Testament sacrificial system. It had effect, but only a temporary effect. It only covered over sin and provided temporary at one month. So temporary means lasting, again, only for a period of time. Not permanent. Lasting, existing, or effective for a limited time only. So when we're talking about what Jesus did for us, what He gave to us, what He made us, what we became, the day we became a new creation in Christ Jesus, is that temporary or is that eternal? Is it only effective for a few years and then it wears off? Or, 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 or is it something that is in effect for, for eternity? 
Now, again, I know this is maybe basic, but I, th- I think it, if, if nothing else, hopefully it'll, it'll just kind of awaken uh, in us, you know, what these words mean. And then when we read them in the scripture, right? So again, let's just play this out. And having been perfected, he became the author of temporary salvation to all who obey him. No, that's not what it says. Eternal salvation. So let's, let me jump down here. There's some other things I want to read, but let's, let's look at eternal. So what does eternal means? Eternal means never ending, never changing, continuing forever without interruption. Eternal means it will never end and it will never change. Eternal means it will continue forever without interruption. It won't lapse. It won't wane. It won't fade. It won't change. This is eternal. This is eternal. This is a very strong word. Now, see, watch this, because I'm trying to show you how we try to blend these two together. We, we try to say something is conditionally eternal. That's like saying something is sort of light, but it's also kind of dark, too. See, we're trying to, this is where we're trying to put these two together. Because, see, we've, we've only believed eternal means without end... It's without end, but it can be changed. No, if it's eternal, it cannot end and it cannot be changed. Jesus authored this for you and me. Jesus brought this into existence for you and me. Until Jesus did what he did for you and me on the cross, in the grave... First of all, his sinless life, his virgin birth, his sinless life. Then what he did on the cross, what he did at the whipping post, being beaten, thorns on it, all of that. The, 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 the whole passion, as it's referred to, uh, of, of the Christ. His becoming our sin. Father, turning his back on Jesus, forsaking Jesus. That word forsake, we'll get into this in the days ahead. When, when he says, why have you forsaken me? He's literally saying, Father, why have you left me in a lurch? Why have you left me here in my darkest hour? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you deserted me? Why have you turned your back on me and walked away from me? That's what it means when he says, why have you forsaken me? He, he forsook him because that was when he became our sin. And our sin separated us from him. There are people that I love and respect and they simply cannot say out of their mouths that Jesus died spiritually. Death is separation. He died physically on that cross and he died spiritually on that cross. When he became our sin and Father turned his back on him and, and abandoned him, deserted him. Well, well, that's not what that means. It is exactly what it means. And, we, and it's like, we, how dare you say something like that about Jesus? How dare you take away from him what he's done for us? To say that he didn't die spiritually is to say that he did less for us than he actually did for us. That was the hardest part. The, the, the breaking of fellowship part was the cup. That was the cup he begged to be taken away from him. Not dying. He knew he was going to die. And he also, see, he learned these things from what he experienced, the Bible says. He experienced it as a man. But see, here's what Jesus knew about sin. He, he from his throne in heaven, he saw what sin does to people. He saw how sin separates people from him and from his Father and from the Holy Spirit. Prevents them from being able to love them. Prevents them from being able to work in their life. And he knew that he was about to take all of it on himself. Past, present, and future. 
You see, if it has no end and it cannot be changed or interrupted, then it cannot be reversed or undone. Well, it's not that simple, Pastor Mark. Why do we say that? Well, I mean, you know, people make up their own minds. Well, when, when the younger brother abandoned his father, deserted his father, denied his father, embarrassed his father, and went to another country and wasted all that his father had given to him, did he ever stop being his father's son? Did the father ever stop loving him? The minute he came back to have functional oneness with his father, because positional oneness never ended. That boy could have died somewhere and he'd have died that, that daddy's son. Somebody could have identified his body. His daddy went and found him and buried him and wept over him. So we're talking about something here that, that's more. See, but if you, if you only think of what well, Jesus forgives, but he'll only forgive so much. He'll only forgive you for so long. You can, you can go too far. <laughs> How far did that young man have to go? Let me just say it this way. And I'm not trying to make you mad. Are, are people listening to me mad? Or there was no distance. You're talking about how far somebody goes before it's no longer eternal. It just, went, it just went back to temporary. That's where it ends. That's where it changes. What what could that young man have done to make himself no longer be his daddy's son? Nothing. And if the son of God makes you a son of God, you abide in Father's house forever. That's what Jesus said. All right, stand with me. Praise God. You get anything out of this tonight? So we'll, we'll jump back in here next week, but um, let me just, praise God. Let me give you this one. This one, I'm excited about this one. I'm excited about all this. Hebrews 9 and 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all. And what did he obtain when he did that? Eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Now remember, redemption is the ransom paid either for someone who's a slave or someone who's in prison, legal charges against them. It's a payment to redeem someone from slavery or to redeem someone uh, out of uh, imprisonment. If it's an eternal redemption. See, this is, remember we talked a few weeks back about pay as you go. It's like, oh, you know, Johnny's done got himself back enslaved to sin, Father. I guess I'll go down there and pay for it one more time. No, see, he's, he's, he already paid for it. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. Never ends, can't be changed. Can't be reversed, can't be undone. So what's the devil's only hope? Just keep you ignorant of it. Keep you squabbling over it. And what people don't realize is they argue over these things and they don't, and what they, they don't understand they're getting into pride. If God says it can't be changed and it'll never end and you think you can change it or end it, that's pretty prideful. Are pretty ignorant ones. Arrogance or ignorance or both. Amen. Father, thank you tonight for helping us, Lord.
Well, it's not about winning an argument over the, at the water cooler, Lord. It's not about, you know, t- telling somebody who believes something different that they're wrong and we're superior to them in some way. Lord, that, that is, obviously we want to help people who want to be helped and we want to, we want to know the truth so that we can teach it to our children and we can teach it uh, and, and reveal it and explain it and expound upon it to other people who want to know. But, Father, th- this is not about an axe to grind. This is not about, um, you know, uh, having superior doctrine over somebody else so we can, you know, feel superior and, and, and judge them. None of that, Father. We, we want to know the truth, and we want, we want to uh, have our minds renewed to the truth, and we, and we want to walk in and experience and enjoy the, the truth of, of all that Jesus paid the ultimate price for us to have. And again, Father, it, it all comes back to us being comfortable and Jesus being settled at home in our hearts and our being comfortable in your presence without feeling like we've, we've got to be, um, you know, uh, Bible scholars and monks who live in a cave and never, you know, to somehow be worthy of you. Jesus has made us worthy. He's, he's made us one with you. And it's, and it's through our walking with you and learning and growing up into you that, 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 that you are satisfied, Lord, uh, in, in, in our functional oneness and fellowship. Help us, Lord. Thank you for teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much again for being here tonight. I know that uh, probably other things.